so disconnected due to technology. That is really well said. We, we are absolutely living the same lives. It doesn't matter if our stories are the same, slightly different, completely different. People go through things, people grow, people change, or they don't. And, you know, we're all in that boat. And so we can learn from each other at any given moment. So I totally agree with you. <laughs> you know, for me, at I'm rapidly heading toward 52, and I'm not ashamed to say that. I am very proud to say it because as a man of color in America, uh, I hate to say it, but that is actually a feat. I mean, to make it to 50, my chances of making it to 70 go up astronomically. Wow. If that is even a thing, people don't realize the subtleties and the differences in our lives because of who we are. And for me, I celebrate that in every day and with try to do it with every person I meet, even though it's getting more difficult because we're putting constraints upon ourselves. We are becoming more uh, intro and not necessarily introverted, but intro where we, we've put a bubble around ourselves when we go out into the world. And it's so important to recognize people. That's one of the things about my podcast, The Billionaire Lifestyle, is that I am talking to people I have never met or someone that I just piqued my interest like you. You know, it was like do a day. Like if only people could understand if they could do one thing a day better or try something better. I mean, I think I did the math on it and it was like 0.003%. If you did that 0.003, and don't quote me on that because I don't have my calculator in front of me. But if you did 0.003% better per day, then in a year, whatever it is you focused on, you're 100% better. Wow. Well, it adds up little by little. Little by Drops little. And it's very, very subtle changes that anyone can make. But to me, the premise behind the billionaire lifestyle came um, out of several needs. One, a need for creativity and to say I've done something. I, am, I, am, I have metrics that I can measure. Also, I thought about it from the cu my customer's perspective, which is everyone. And there are people out here who need a voice, but, and there's so, many, so much media available, but sometimes it's very hard to um, make contact with these people or to get on shows or to have your voice literally come through the minutia. So I said, it's up to me to do something. I can't wait for someone to do what I want done. Wow. You know, Emmett, I want to, I want to get into this billionaire lifestyle idea. Cause when, when I first heard about your show, I'm thinking this is a show about living large, right. <laughs> and, and consumption. And actually when I looked into your show and I started to listen to it, I was like, it's, it's the opposite. It's not about financial be, being a financial billionaire. It's like being a, I don't know, like a life billionaire. And, and your story is totally flip-flop from you're not pursuing things. It's, you've, you've completely gone in the other direction about pursuing values and quality and not accumulation. So can you, I mean, tell us about that backstory and what brought you to creating this show. Yeah, well, so back in about 2006, 2007, I started going through this change and through my life, I had accumulated positions. I accumulated, you know, a decent level of income, 
And it doesn't take that much because if you make over $32,000 globally, you're in the 1%. But I was quite a bit, my household was quite a bit above that. But I start realizing I'm not any happier. I mean, I'm just not happier. And I had all this debt, you know, I had with my house and I had credit cards that had like $20,000 on them. And actually, and I, let me, let me diverse. I was thinking about it and I was started saying all the things I don't want. I don't want this debt. I don't want this. And I don't want this. And life gave it to me. Life said, okay, we're going to put you on the <laughs> road for that. And I had started on the path to like retooling. But when you retool, if you're in a relationship, if you have an epiphany and that person ha- who you're with, your spouse, doesn't have that same mm. paradigm shift, that's going to cause some strife in your, in, in your relationship. Yeah, major it did strife. Mine. Major strife. Yeah. Uh, long story short, we got divorced. But during that process, it was basically my life pivoted because we weren't there for each other anymore. So, you know, it, it was a hard thing to go through. But once you come through these tough, really rough emotional physical circumstances, you are so much better because A, you have the experience to look back upon and say, look, I, I made it through that. I can make it through just about anything. Um, B, it lets you know that when you come out on the other side, everything is okay. So you can continue on the journey versus stay stagnant. And this is what so many people do. But to get back to it, so 2008, when the, the financial crash happened, I went to work one day and something was weird. My solar plexus were like off. <laughs> and I was just like, what's going on? And, they, and I watched him walk a friend of mine out. He didn't come back in. And then my manager tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, I need to talk to you. I just grabbed my laptop. And I was like, you knew. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I knew. And, what was, and this is literally what was funny because my mindset had changed. So I knew they were going to lay me off and they were, you know, they were being very cordial about it. And I said, look, just, just let's, it's over. The relationship is over. I wish you would have told me last night so I wouldn't have to come in. I could be watching Ellen right now. You're trying to save on the commute. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. because it was like a 40 mile commute. But I was like, hey, I could be watching. But that's not it. This is literally, it. I manifested that because I said, you know, my daughter, my youngest daughter is about to graduate high school. I pictured my perfect day. I get up in the morning. I make breakfast. I take her to school. And then I make some money. And then I cook dinner. And that's what happened. So it was something that I manifested. So you really have to be ready to recognize the things in your life that coalesce from your thoughts because we don't we picture them in a very romantic sense but sometimes it doesn't quite come exactly how you imagine yeah. it but nonetheless it comes to you if you are focused in on that thing and it doesn't always have to be hardship where you pivot it may be just a little bit of change that you have to adjust to but it's there but from that that affirmed me and it also helped me to have some more revelations where I said, you know, I have all this debt, even though I am, well, I wasn't really unemployed because I had uh, an entertainment company that I ran in conjunction with work and a day job. So I was able to maintain and I start realizing a lot of it is, is, is bull. 
a lot of it, a lot of the things that we're chasing are just shackles that we have encountered. And it goes to like the book that I am starting to write now. I'm literally just writing the outline, which is, are you living an intentional life or are you living a life by accident? And by accident, I mean, is it of your core? Yeah. Is it of your volition that you are crafting the life that you desire that that thing that makes you happy that thing that makes you say i can't wait to wake up tomorrow because i have some things that i need to accomplish and here's the important word experience yeah so to live for experiences versus living for things and during that period i came out and i had all this stuff i had to sell my house um, I sold most of the things that I, I had accumulated and I realized half the stuff I was still paying for. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So the things are gone, but the, the mark that they've left, the footprint they left in your life is still there and you have to deal with it. They were there in droves. And, you know, that was, it was just reaffirming that I was on the right path. Yeah. And over the next year, my life dramatically changed. It pivoted. And, you know, uh, my, I became into the person that I wanted to be. And it was like, I looked for them and the things just came. I stopped worrying so much about it. But let me say this. I still carry, and as most humans do, we have this thing in our DNA from our experiences, whether they're good or bad. A lot of times the bad ones are embedded in our ego and our ego is there to protect us. And that's where your fear comes from. But you have to realize, I'm okay. I mean, I literally say that consistently. But another practice that I have honed in on is the fact of literally giving thanks. I mean, I literally lay in bed at night, right before I fall asleep. I touch my wife, you know, on her thigh. I have my hand resting on her thigh. And I say, you know, to God, thank you for this woman. I ask you for this woman. Thank you for my house. Thank you for my car that gets me to where I need to be, that lets me afford the house, that my family gets to experience in comfort. Thank you for my health. I go through all these things every day, sometimes several times a day. And that is so very important because I've seen how it's affected my life in the recent time. I mean, I've just seen how things just fall into place. Yeah, that gratitude is really valuable. You know, I want to I want to go back to this notion you were just talking about a moment ago where it's, it's about this life of intention versus just sort of falling into it. And I, you know, I, I talk about it's like living your life, which is a verb, or life living you, which is you're, you're passive. It's being done to you. And when you put it like that, I think a lot of us wake up and realize, you know, I'm, I, this isn't my choice. I'm not making this happen. This is happening to me. And so many of us just get into this mindless, like, wake up, go to work, whether you like it or not, you know, pay the bills, whether you really needed the things that generated those bills or not, and whether you appreciate them anymore. You know, that, that new car smell fades at some point, Yes, you know, and, and that amazing house that is beyond what you can really pay for, it's going to need maintenance at some point. It's not going to look as jazzy as it did the day that you bought it. You know, that sink's going to start dripping and the toilet's not going to flush. <laughs> I might be speaking from experience. I might not be. You never know. 
<laughs> but that's that's yeah. the thing about life. And if we're not careful, we fall into that. So is that, are you trying to help people avoid it? Or do you think that actually they need to go through that process to really value that, that sort of that feeling of coming out of it? You know, 90, I, I, and I don't know this statistically, but I would have to guess that about 95 to 99% of us are living in that mode. We're living a life of by accident. Yeah, I agree. Which means, you know, you go to college because your parents said you have to go to college or to be successful, you have to go to college or you have to go into the military to do something with your life versus just trying to experience a point of life where you understand what it is that attracts you, what it is that you're good at, what it is that you can be good at and moving in that direction. So a lot of times it's totally influenced by our, our environment. It's totally influenced by our parents and our community. It's totally influenced by media, which is a big one nowadays that's yeah. telling us things that we need to do versus stepping back from it and looking at it from the base level, which I kind of, which I have done and said, what do I really need? And it all come for me was culminated in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which says, you know, at the base level, you need a house to live in. You need to be safe. You need food, the basic stuff. And then once you get past that and you get into the spiritual and intellectual, everything else is a bonus. So are you carrying bonus baggage unnecessarily? Are you carrying things that aren't yours? What do you need to shed to live in a beautifully efficient, prosperous life, which is part of the billionaire lifestyle? And people always ask me, hey, it's about, you know, I, I make the statement, it's not about money. And people say, well, I'm not a billionaire. And I said, I bet you I can prove that you are. And they're like, sure, go ahead. So I asked them, look at your hand. Just look at your, the, from the palm of your hand from tips of your finger to your wrist. So between there is your hand and your hand is made of cells and the cells are part of your body and you own all that. And just between the, your wrist where your hand meets and the tip of your longest finger, there's at least a billion cells there. So you are a billionaire. I mean, oh. 30. <laughs> I didn't even thought about that piece of it. Another way to measure I mean, it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you already are a billionaire. I mean, just in your, your gut floor, in your brain cells, in your thoughts, in your emotions, since you were born, talking about our you're makeup. a billionaire. Yeah, it's, we're, yeah, we're made up of that, that, um, that richness. Yes, you, you come from an infinite source. So you're already a billionaire. And if you want to look at it a different way, you can look at it as, Let's say Bill Gates, who's obviously a billionaire, correct? Yeah. But he doesn't worry about things, low-level things. If he loses some money, eh, I'm good. But he has his health. He has a home to live in. He has food to eat. He has someone who loves him. So everything else is a bonus. So as a matter of fact, he gives a lot of his money away. So it's not about spending and buying things. It is about the experience of life, the experience of living, because we are spiritual beings having a physical experience. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, if you, if you look at billionaires or the ones that are you know, publicly visible, look at someone like Warren Buffett, 
you know, who for a time was the richest man in the world. I think he's what number three or four or something right now. <laughs> Irrelevant. Like for, for, for that level of wealth, you, there's nothing you can do to spend that money beyond giving it all away. You can't, you know, yeah. you can only buy so many private islands and planes and whatever. You can't spend all that money and it earns so much interest just from sitting there. You know, every second you're worth millions more. So it's just, it's irrelevant. And so you stop caring so much about that pursuit that those of us who are not billionaires are so entangled in. And you start to see it. It's like the fog clears and you notice that the sky is blue and you see possibility. Yes, exactly. And one of the other analogies is I always like to say, and I come from Detroit, Michigan, which is in, on the east side, which is the hood. I lived there for the first like 15 and a half years of my life, and then we moved to the suburbs. But it was really about representation of wealth versus having wealth. And it took me a long time to figure that out because I had that mentality ingrained in me. I didn't practice it, so to speak, but it was a part of my my social DNA. And once I got away from it and I started uh, seeing examples, there was one gentleman, his name was Nazi Abdallah. And I remember this, we were working together and he says, I'm going to buy a new house because I'm about to have a new baby. And I said, how are you going to buy it? You going to get a loan? He's like, a loan? Why would I do that? He was like, I'm going to pay cash for it. And this is like almost $300,000. And he has five kids. Wow. <laughs> and he works the same job. I'm like, how is this guy doing this? He doesn't drive a new car. You don't see him in really flashy clothes, but he's always impeccably clean. He, uh, he's very intelligent. And he's, he's a man who's doing his job, which means he's taking care of his family. They are safe. They're fed. They're roofed and clothed and happy, which is spoke volumes to me. And I began to look at other examples of that and seeing how the people that we think have the, re who have the representation of wealth is a misnomer for us to go by. It's just not relevant. Yeah, that's very true. He, he probably takes much better care of what he has. You know, when you mention impeccably clean, like that's, that to me is just a sign like he values caring for things, including himself. Because then, you know, you, you get to experience what matters in life. I mean, he probably gives a lot of himself to his kids because he's not caught up in paying for and pursuing everything else. Yes, it's, that's exactly right. And he comes from a community of family, mm. which we are actually getting away from. You know, um, he was, if you don't know by his name, he was a Middle Eastern man. And they are very keen on family, on community, on being connected to one another. And we have to get back to that. But it, re <laughs> it requires us giving up some of the self. It's not always about you. As a matter of fact, my wife said that to me. She's like, I want to lose 10 pounds. I'm like, dear, you look fine. Love you. Like what you got. She's like, it's not always about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I understand that. Yeah. You, uh, you know, you, you're saying something that's hitting me is people are like, well, but I'm around my family. Is your neck facing down towards your hand, which is raised with something lighted up? You know, are you, when you say connected to your family, are you connected to them on Facebook, but maybe not in person? So that's, even, yeah. even when we're around each other, I, I, I sat at a birthday dinner for my father a few years ago and 
dinner was over and everyone was sitting there dead silent. And I'm like, <laughs> what is, I'm just watching it. They're, they're all facing down and then someone laughs and then three or four people laugh and then it's dead silent. And then that happens again. And what I realize is they're texting each other. It's a table of like 12 people sitting with each other to celebrate someone's birthday. And they're all sitting there texting each other. I'm like, guys, pick your head up and speak. Like, why did we all come together here? You could have texted each other any old time, but you're, you're all sitting together and they're, you know, they're not all texting each other. They're also texting people that aren't there. But it's like, what a ridiculous commentary. Uh, and I'm not trying to put my family down, but <laughs> it's a ridiculous commentary on the situation, isn't it? Like we're sitting there, even in person, we don't connect with each other. Yeah, that's systemic though, but it, that's, that's the evolution of communication. And, you know, recently I watched this documentary about uh, this, these guys who wanted to go hang out with the pygmies. And in that moment, it was so powerful. I realized something. Historically, people, um, particularly in America, you know, they brought people here or they uh, talked about the people here. and was like, your life sucks. You need to get on our plan. And by hook or crook, they made them get on the plan. But who's to say that they, their life was not fully functionally, fully functional and super valuable because they don't know. If you don't know something is better, then it might not be. It's not until someone pushes you towards it and you find yourself reprogrammed that you look back. But now I'm looking back and saying like, you know, these basic people of, of this planet who are living in harmony with the planet are living a really good life. Cause I was looking at them. I was like, they're very fit. They, they're smiling a lot. They have a sense of community. They don't have cell phones. They don't even know what a phone is. Yeah. And everything is just peachy. And I was just like, wowed at that, that we may have it wrong where, um, our technological progress has not our no let me get this right our <laughs> our spiritual and emotional progress does not equal or has not advanced as fast as our technological pros progress has in this lifetime and that's where we are now i think we're going through a reset particularly you're seeing with this paradigm shift between the uh, masculine and the feminine where things are sorting themselves out. And I may not see it in my lifetime, but I think in the very near future, it's going to be a totally different uh, paradigm um, altogether. The, the sad thing about it is some things are going to have to go bye-bye and it's going to be uncomfortable, but we're going to be better for it in the future. Yeah, that's... Uh... That's something we can say about a lot. I think there are a lot of things going on right now that it's probably going to get a bit worse before it gets better, but we might have to go through that to learn. Absolutely. Because I believe we, we cut ourselves off from all that the human dynamic has when we, when we separate ourselves from each other. Because the DNA that we have, the DNA that we share, the energy that we share is like point oh 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 one percent different between each individual and each group. So it's it's time for us to spiritually begin to evolve as fast as our technology, which means electronics communication, has moved forward. So you know that's imminent, and all this to me comes back to why I came to the billionaire lifestyle. So 
uh, one of the other premises behind it is so that I can interview people who are doing things on their terms. They may still have a day job, but they have this other passion that they are just animate about, or they found out something about themselves or about us as a collective, and they want to share it. And that's where I get into, because my show can be a little eclectic and like all over the place a little um, often, but it's about the Trinity, the mind, the body, and the spirit. And that covers a lot of things to encompass a billionaire lifestyle. Yeah. Well, it's all enriching. Absolutely. I mean, like you yourself, you had a pivot point in your life and you're like, I got to do some things. You know, the things with your family, you're like, I have to make a decision. And that's literally what, as humans, we have to do. We have to make a decision. And then as Jim Rohn would say, the most important thing to do, and this is so critical because we all have ideas and we all have dreams, but you have to act. Even if it's the smallest thing, act. Like I said, 0.003%. If you just act a little bit each day, you'll be 100% more in less than 365 days. Yeah, that's why, you know, again, you're using a verb. So it's not just just wait and things will just be better. They'll, they just have, you do have to do something. That's where, you know, when you talked about uh, having that, that vision, having that desire, that uh, bringing about the change in your life by thinking about it and by focusing on it. This isn't, it's not as simple as just have the vision and then keep doing the, the things that you're doing that you wish were different. You do have to put in the work. You do have to, you know, if you want different, then what can you do today to get yourself down that path of different? Yeah, that, that is absolutely true. I mean, I'll give you an example. So around that time, around 2006, 2007, I had this, I discovered my bucket list. <laughs> I was like, that's a thing? Okay, so what haven't I done that may seem kind of impossible or very few people that I know have done? And the first thing that came to my mind was write a book. So I set up, set up embarked upon writing a book. And I wrote a book, which is called The Journey of One. And I was trying to think, I had this vague idea. And then one day I was at work at that place that laid me off. And they, <laughs> it downloaded. And I mean, basically the entire story downloaded. I had to tweak it a little bit. But I went home and I started typing. Hit you. I just started typing. I typed for two weeks, two and a half, three weeks, and it was done. But that was the easy part, believe it or not. You know, now... I start to learn something. So here's part of the thing. Once you begin to act, and if you do it diligently, the path will be shown to you because now I had this script. So I had to ask, okay, I've written this this thing. What do I do now? Oh, you have to get it proofread. Oh, how do I find that? Oh, Google this and Google that or ask somebody this and they show you the way. Okay, now you need graphics. You need art. Okay, now I learned about the process of art. Oh, now you have to actually produce the hardcover book. How do I do that? Well, there's places you can do that. So every time I asked a question, the answer was revealed and I learned something. So now when, I, if I, when I'm ready to put all this new information together, it's going to be so much easier. It's like riding a bike. Times change, but the process stays the same. It's just follow each brick. Yeah. Don't worry about the path because the path will be revealed to you as long as you head in the direction. Yeah, I would say don't worry about any of it. If you're doing those things that are in line with where you're trying to get to, 
doesn't matter how long you have to go. It doesn't matter whether it's going to be tough or easy or whether you know all the steps. You're not doing them all right now. So just continue on. Stay focused on it. Have that goal in mind. Want better. And bit by bit, when you come to something you don't know, you don't know how to do, ask for help. You know? Yeah. And, and one of the things that uh, I've learned over the years is when you plant a seed, don't expect to get your fruit from where you plant the seed. And that's interesting. So, so I'm going <laughs> to lay it out just be- between the relationship between you and I. So I planted the seed with you, and I didn't even I, I didn't even think about it. I knew I had to plant the seed because the fruit would come, and it doesn't necessarily come. So most people plant the seed in the ground, right? And then they sit there and look at the ground and wait for the fruit to come up, and they're like, there's no fruit here. All of a sudden, the apple hits them on the top of the head, and they look up, and they go, oh, that's where the fruit is. Mm. So with you... I saw what you were doing and my job was to be there with you, be there for you. So every time you tweeted, I retweeted. Every time you said something and I noticed it, I chimed right in because I could confirm what you were saying was true because you have that integrity um, that I've already ascertained from you. And then all of a sudden you say, hey, Emmett, I need to talk to you. So the fruit came back already. And I didn't even expect it. Yeah, I, I love that idea because that is that is very true. You stare at the ground, and the ground has nothing to do with it anymore. No, yeah. it's going to come from above, or it might come from the left, or it might come from the right. It might not even come from there. It may spawn a root somewhere far away, and then somebody comes and feeds you with that fruit. Yeah, you need to be open, and well, it's like people say about finding love. You know, you find it when you least expect it. When you're out there searching for it, you won't find the person, and then you give up, and then lo and behold, um, you know, the, the dating sites would argue with me on that. But that's like, I mean, that's the story of basically every uh, romantic comedy movie out there. And, yep. uh, and I mean, certainly that was the deal for me is like, I was all depressed that I'd never find anyone. And I, I, I had broken up with my girlfriend, and maybe it was the other way around. And, uh, <laughs> I, I was going to graduate school in the middle of nowhere and my class was not 50 50 it was like 20 percent female and most of them were married or in relationships with one of the classmates so uh i was like well there's you know there's going to be two years of my life where i make no progress in in like the non-career part of my life and sure enough within a few weeks i i uh was already dating the woman that would become my wife Awesome. So it's like, you know, you, you give up hope and you close yourself off. Maybe that's a little premature. Maybe you don't need that negativity. And by maybe, I mean, definitely you don't. There's possibility. You don't. More. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's really great that, and I just feel so blessed that I can actually offer uh, some of the services that I do and some of the information, because a lot of times it's, it's stuff that I want to find out for myself. Mm. And I know that there's a community out there that are, that have the same feeling that I do. And so that's the next thing is to com- is to connect with this global community of pe- like-minded people because once we get together and we laser focus our our idea, our sense of self, our sense of community, it can't help but spread because you know, I'm contributing to what Malcolm Gladwell would have said was a tipping point, a consciousness yeah. tipping point. And that's what the billionaire lifestyle is, is kind of about. It's, it's about so much thing, but 
when you want to wrap it up in a nutshell, is literally about life. Yeah, and you know, you, you're not talking about just a few lives. You have a bold, bold statement on your website that you want to, you want to help free over a hundred million people from exactly this path that we've been talking about. I mean, and and I agree with you on the whether it's ninety five or ninety nine or ninety nine point nine five percent. I think. <laughs> pretty much every certainly adult you know at least like once you get out of school and and you're living that that adult life and supporting yourself and all that most people are in that mindless path and you know i'm in a weird way i'm thankful for the struggles that brought me through to where i am today and and i i'm guessing from talking to you that you feel the same that you know there was a purpose to it but people also don't need to go through that to wake up and that's where your message can be helpful they don't need to go through it. You know, my dad, when I was a kid, I was an avid reader as a very young child, like seven, eight. I was, my, my place of refuge was the library. And I used to read all these kind of factual books. And my dad said to me one day, he said, A, if there's anything you need to learn, somebody's typically written about it, which fueled me even more. And he was like, B, you should stop reading so much about biology and chemistry and the sciences, he says, you should read autobiographies. I was like, I, I don't know anybody. I'm like eight years old. He was like, the first, he's like, I'm, he says, I'll give you someone to, to start reading. And he gave me Harry Belafonte's book. Oh, wow. And then after that, he gave me Sidney Poitier's book. And then after that, he made me read Henry Ford's book because my dad was an electrician for Ford Motor Company. Okay. And you start to see, or, or you start to absorb the experiences through the books. Whatever they went through, you can use that as a reference in your own life and, and how to navigate some of these things. And a lot of people, you know, fail to, to gravitate towards that, that reading of, I mean, we read so many things about motivation, but just read about people's lives because a lot of it will be directly transferable to your own life and will help you navigate. And what you'll find out is, Nine times out of 10, if you try to make really good decisions, and this is really important because I'm sure we both know a lot of people who are just horrible at making the right decisions. But if you just try to rationalize and make the best decisions, you're going to be great. Hmm. I'm waiting for you to tell me the, the example of people who have done the opposite and how you learn from that, too. Is there, is there someone well, that stands out? Oh, there's tons. I mean, just if you look in the media, it, it's like every other day, yeah. you know, because fame and fame skews your sense of reality, you know, just a little bit of fame. Uh, just think about the, the kid who was on YouTube not too long oh, ago. Yeah. And, you know, he was he was the toast of the Internet. And with one failed bad decision, which is was a no brainer yeah. not to do Don't play with a dead body. And laugh at that it. guy yeah. yeah i didn't even want to bring it up yeah. i mean bring out names so you know but that's part of um that's part of how we've shifted and we've shifted away from mentorship mm. where the someone who has experience someone who is older people don't want to listen oh that's old that's that does that's not relevant there's nothing new under the sun like i said we have forgotten more information than we already know. I mean, yeah. if you look at the pyramids, if you 
if you look at some of the structures that are on Earth, if you look at some of the structures that are not even terrestrial, they're under the water, how did they get there? And how did these, what we call primitive people, make these things? So there was something that we lost and we're trying to get back to. We've just taken a different direction. We're in a, our, our dimensional shift is, has not made it back to where we were. And so it's up to us to get calm, to get simple, and to live a life versus have life living us or directing us what to do. Yeah. It's just, and it comes from like meditation and prayer. Yeah. Because I, one of the things I say is, you know, when we pray, that's us talking to our God. But when we meditate, that's our God's chance to talk to us. And we're not getting in the way with our chatter. Yes, because yeah. I got a lot of chatter in my yeah. um, I, you, There's something that you've said in the past that I think is brilliant, and it's, it's kind of what you're hitting on right now. It's our world is in need of an old direction, not a new one. It's like we're always looking for something else. It's like, guys, it's always been right in front of us. Yes. I mean, everything is right in front of us. You know, I'm, I'm going to go back to when my first wife, um, I've been remarried since. I mean, my wife and I used to say something like we had a, gotten a house in the suburbs. We had like three cars. We had our kids. They were in soccer and dance classes. And we kept going back to like we had a lot of fun when we were broke. We really enjoyed each other, enjoyed life. Everybody says we that. And no one learns yeah. from it. We all like everyone has that story. Their parents have told them that story. And we don't learn. It's because all we had was the minimum we had each other we had our relationships you know i i'll I'll give you this story we used to have these little get-togethers because nobody had any money we probably had about you know this is back in the day so we probably had about 30 bucks between like eight people and i remember this we were playing uno like about seven of us are sitting around a table playing uno and we all got hungry and i said um pony up so everybody ponied up and we came up with about 18 bucks and I said, I'll be right back. So I went to the store. I bought a couple of beers and I bought a big an onion and I bought a bag of navy beans. And I cooked those beans while we continued playing. We had the beer. That was one of the best knives li- nights of our life. <laughs> I mean, people yeah. talked about it for years. Like, that was such a great time. We were all hungry. Uh, we had each other. But we had just what we needed to experience the moment which was we had food we had shelter we had love yeah i mean i'm gonna make a prediction right now what's that all right if if you're near 52 by the time you're 60 you're gonna be in a tiny home am i right have you thought about it (laughs) yeah uh we've already yeah we've thought about that um consistently um that's kind of one of the things that i want to move to which is simple and serve yeah you know, one of our ideas was just to move somewhere where I could probably cook and play music and just have people and just watch them enjoy life. Mm. Yeah, when you put it like that, what else do you really want? Yes, you know, you've probably been on, on vacation or something or you've been I've, to a I've place I've heard where... of vacation before. I'm aware <laughs> of the concept, yeah. Where, you know, or you've gone by some place where there's a little hole in the wall place and there's probably like a family that runs it. And there's probably a mom or a dad that's probably a uh, cook or runs a business. And there's somebody who runs the front. 
and they're just happy. And this used to be a really prevalent ideology within major cities before we got to big box stores. So every neighborhood had every little thing that they need. They had a cleaners, they had a, a mechanic, they had an insurance agent, they had a funeral home. They, everything they needed was in like six blocks. And then it repeated itself throughout those neighborhoods. Yeah. And we've gotten away from that and we've seen where our neighborhoods and our sense of community has died with it because, A, there's no infrastructure. There's no infrastructure of community, which means if there's a small business, we would call that a micro business nowadays, then when I'm coming up, if I need to get some experience or a job, I can go to one of those micro businesses and work after school and I can have mentorship and I can learn how to function in the society because there is someone who is showing me the things that I are required for me to function in a larger community. Yeah. So we've moved away from some of that. And that's some of the things that we need to get back to. We need to get simple. And it's the same thing for us as individuals. I looked at my bills and every six months I do it because I trickle ahead. Oh, I need a new Showtime app. Oh, I need to get cable. Oh, I need to get this. I need to get that. Then you look up and you have a bunch of tiny bills that really don't have a lot of value or adding a lot of things to your life. And you have to scale those back to say, what do I, and this is an important question. What do I need in my life? What do I need versus what do I want? Because they're very different things. Yeah. Wants are fleeting. Wants are in response to some kind of stimulus. And a need is, is something that is always there. So if you fulfill your, your needs, you're good. If you fulfill your wants, you stop caring about it. You stop wanting it. And then it's waste. It's, it's more than waste. It's a burden, actually, to, you know, going right back to your original story. Yes. I mean, those things require your energy. And your energy is precious because we are balls of energy. So if we're giving our energy to these inanimate objects that we give value to, I mean, as a matter of fact, when I was recently married, my wife said, what kind of ring do you want? I was like, I don't care. Long as it's not considered what people consider precious metal. I was like, you can get me a titanium ring because A, I'm rough on things. B, it will be with me forever. And C, it has value that I have given it. Versus what Mm. the world has given it. Yeah. That's really well said. Value that you give something rather than what the world gives it. Yes. And so many times we're giving value to things because we're influenced to give it value. For instance, oh, the new Chrysler 300 came out and everyone's saying, this is what you should have. It has value. No, it doesn't because it does the same thing as my Toyota, my 2007 Toyota does. It gets me from point A to B safely. Yeah. Now, now you got so, me thinking cars, so I'm not even going to comment because I'm going to take this in a different direction. <laughs> no, that's okay because I did go to the, to the Detroit Auto Show recently, and I <laughs> it's on is, your mind. I, but this is an experience that I had. I mean, I go for the experience every year. I go to the Detroit Auto Show. I travel four hours to spend one hour, if that, at the auto show, and I go in with a purpose. I go in to take a picture of the Audi R8. And a picture of the latest Corvette. That's all I do. Okay. And that's my thing. I get to sit in it. I get to take a picture in it. And then I leave. And then I usually go get something to eat. Okay. 
But it's simply that I experienced that car. I literally did. Yeah. Because I don't want to spend $107,000 or $194,000 for something that as soon as I obtain it, its value dies. Yeah. Versus what is it for? And this is the question that many of us forget to, to ask. What is it? What does it do for me? What, is it, what value does this inanimate thing add in my life? Or am I giving it more value than it really has? So, you know, that's a lot of it. But I want to I go back a little bit. And you can always go to the Billionaire Lifestyle. Uh, and it's found at EmmettMuckles.com. And the reason I did that is because I literally want to give back. One of the things I said back in 2007, I had some bunch of premises is I want to do something I haven't done and I want to continually re renew that. But also I want to give back. I want to teach and I want to give to people or give them something that will be of value to them that they can't get anywhere else. And I've done it. You've done it and you're doing it because you're, you're still building this thing. So what's... I, I, I am too. Tell, tell everybody what, what's next for you. And then you mentioned EmmettMuckles.com and obviously I'll link to that and, and social and everything. But where are you heading with this and how can people get a hold of you and, and see what you're doing? Be a part of this so movement. The, so the, the next thing that I have to do, this is a must. So I'm connecting with people virtually. You know, they're not dealing with the the spiritual animal that's in the moment. So I have to get out in public. So I have to go out and I have to physically present myself to the world. I have to speak to people. I have to meet them. I have to be in proximity to their air, which is uh, the next phase. So the next goal I have is to do a TED talk. I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know when, but that's the next goal is to, is to work towards a TED talk. Or we can talk about that. I can give you some help. I see, see how it happens. Put it out there. Yeah. Just put it out there. That is the next goal is a TED talk. And I'm going to explain where I come from. I am a African American male born in Detroit, Michigan at the time of humongous turmoil in this country and change, which was the mid sixties. And Actually, statistically, I made it through, but a lot of my friends didn't because I came through the Detroit era in the 80s, like when I beat my formal years, which was called the Dope Boy Era. And what that was was uh, the drug um, system changed. And the drug dealer said, hey, if we can get kids to sell our drugs, law enforcement won't prosecute them the same. And this is at the same time the crack epidemic came in. So you had a lot of very young people that, who didn't have mentorship, who all of a sudden acquired social power in the form of economic um, ability. In that, you had an opposable force for them, which was law enforcement, which either A, um, sent them away for a long time and null nullified their lives, or the game itself that they were playing, they were knocking each other off. So a lot of my peers that I went to high school with and elementary school with are no longer present in our society in one of two ways. 
they have been incarcerated since a very young age or they transitioned out of this dimension. So for me, it's very important to show people how I did that. And what it was, was I paid attention to my shiny thing. Instead of some, everyone saying, hey, we need to go do this. I was like, ooh, look over there. There is an instrument that I need to learn so I can play in a band. Why would you want to play in a band? Hip hop is, I was like, that's cool. But I paid attention to my shiny thing as people should pay attention to their shiny things, which is go for yours. Listen to your heart. Listen to your solar plexus and find that path for yourself. And that's what I am really trying to impart upon people that we all don't want the same things because success, what success is to me is slightly different than what success is to you or our neighbors. You know, some people, they want a lot of money. I mean, after you make more, after you make $75,000, your life does not change exponentially depending on where you live. For most parts of the country, $75,000 or $70,000, if you make any more than that, it doesn't impact your life that much. It really doesn't. As a matter of fact, in some places like 40000 and you are living like a king. Yeah. But we're programmed to spend so much that we are always poor. That's the difference. That's how people think. There's, I know there's people listening who are like, what is he talking about? $70,000. <laughs> you can't, you, and then that's only this much after tax, and you can't raise a family on that. That is not true. You can choose to, but it's all a question of how you construct your life around that income. You can live within your means and have a great life. Yes. And, and I discovered this uh, a while ago. I started doing these numbers. So if you make $40,000, how much do you bring home? If you make $50,000, how much do you bring home? If you make $75,000, you only bring home like about $55,000. <laughs> yeah. But, but that's still so much more. That's available income. That's enough money to save, live fruitfully, live safely, and live happily and have an abundance, which is so bizarre to some people. They're like, if, if I could just make... I was like, if I gave you a billion dollars, and I've said this to people, if I gave you a billion dollars, what would you do? Well, I pay off my house, I buy a new car, and I give my friends some money. I'm like, so you'd be back in the same boat you're in now. Yeah. I'm like, so what would you do with the billion dollars? I don't know. Well, figure out that first. Then the rest of it will come. I think... Um... I think that's exactly the problem is people like those answers are they're like minuscule, irrelevant, worthless things. I buy I pay off my house and buy a car. Do you understand the transformational power of that kind of wealth? You can you can completely change a system with that. You know, you can do something transformational for not just your friends, but for entire populations of people. You can eradicate certain kinds of illness you can eradicate poverty and the poverty trap for cities you know you can do you can do massive things with that and people are talking about piddling little you know consumption yes and one of the things that is so uh prevalent and i see this i see people who have amassed wealth and that's the hook they show i have a bentley or i wear nice suits or I'm on super vacations. So it makes people automatically think about the finances versus the experience because you can do all that 
and work a day job that you're like, eh, it's all right. But that's one of the things. Use your day job to finance your passion. Yeah. That's that's what I've continually done. So, and I, I've gone down a bunch of paths. I've noticed things. I was like, that looks cool. So I remember like in the late 90s, I t- had a conversation with God and he put something right in front of me. And one and what it ended up being was I, I began to be an, a DJ and I loved it. I absolutely loved it until I didn't. Mm-hmm. And when I stopped loving it is because the perception of what I was changed in the public eye. It didn't change what I was, but I started understanding this concept, which most people don't get, is most people don't understand the art of anything. Everything has its art. When you see somebody who does something really well, they're in the flow because they understand the art of it. Michael Jordan understood the art of it. DJ Tiesto understands the art of it. Jay-Z understands the art of it, and they flow in that art, whereas other people see it as an action. Oh, I can do that, but they don't get to understand the art. So is that do you you came to understand the art and then it wasn't it wasn't enjoyable anymore? So what 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 was the switch? No, for me the music changed. <laughs> I was oh, like, okay. this sucks. <laughs> I was like, ew, this is horrible. All right, it's a lot more practical than that. Oh yeah, yeah, it was more practical, but it also became where people were interfering with my art mm. because I had a art. I mean, I could command a crowd simply through my music and my voice by what selections I played mm-hmm. and people wanted to influence. Oh, you need to play this. And you need to play this. I'm like, no, that doesn't yeah. work. And then you watch the crowd move off the dance floor. I watch them move <laughs> off and I watched like two people come up who asked for it. And, I'm, and then it takes, it, I have to go back into the art to grab the people yeah. and to move them um, spiritually and psychologically to the dance floor to where, and then I have to build it back up because it's a, everything is an ebb and flow, just like water. You know, the tide comes in, the tide comes out. Everything has a moment of action and a moment of rest. And that's part of understanding the art of everything is understanding the, the flow, the rest period and the action period, rest and action. You're never in one state perpetually. There's always a, a time where you have to pull back. Even NASCAR, they have to go into the pit stop every once in a while. They just don't do those 200 laps around. They have to take a pause every once in a while, check themselves, and then get back in it, and they can still win. Yeah, very true. Emmett, speaking of Evan Flow, I think we could flow for another hour and a half. <laughs> um, and maybe, maybe we need to do a follow-up episode sometime when your next book is put together. That, that could be a good time for it. Um, but in the meantime, people, we've talked about EmmettMuckles.com. Where else can people get a hold of you to see everything that you're doing? Is, is Twitter a good place? Where's the best other place to find you? So on Twitter, I am E Muckles. That's capital E M U C K L E S. The rest is um, lowercase. On Facebook, I am the Billionaire Lifestyle Podcast, where you can always view the podcast and any little anecdotes that I uh, put forth. But you can always find the Billionaire Lifestyle Podcast on iTunes, um, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. So we, we've just branched out, cool. and the numbers are great. And I'm trying for the month of February to do, and I don't know if this is data or not, but I'm trying to do at least a uh, podcast at least every other day, and it may wow. work out to be every day. 
for the month of February. For people who don't do a podcast, they won't appreciate how much commitment and effort that takes. So thank you on behalf of all your <laughs> listeners, because that is a that's a lot on your part. So that's uh wow. Yeah, that that's a huge commitment back out to your listeners. So I hope people appreciate that. And and they should go and listen and not just listen, but like and subscribe and all that good stuff and leave a positive review. Yeah, absolutely. Please go to iTunes or whatever aggregator that you listen to the podcast with or podcast. Um, subscribe to the Billionaire Lifestyle podcast and please leave me a review because that helps me to spread this message. And it helps me, it, not only just me, but the guests that I interview on the show, it helps them get their message out. And the message is, is generally very beneficial to large groups of people on this planet. Very true. And I, I know I'm biased because I was on it, but it's, uh, <laughs> I don't go on shows that I don't care about. And I wouldn't have had you on mine if I didn't like your message. So yes, I'm biased, but that doesn't make me wrong. Emmett, man, that was, uh, that was a lot, a lot of really valuable insight and direction and inspiration that this whole notion of billionaire lifestyle, um, it's not what it seems on the surface. I think a lot of people probably like me just presume it's about money and it's, it's about so much beyond money and the opposite of money because money is not the answer at all. And I think you really made that clear today. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And with that, today is a new day. Go out and do it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Emmett. Thank you. Man, living a life on purpose or by accident? That's a question everyone needs to ask themselves. I know where Emmett falls on that. Where do you fall? And if you want to get more of Emmett, please do follow him, emuckles, at emuckles on Twitter, Billionaire Lifestyle Podcast on Facebook. Go search out the podcast, subscribe. He's got, you know, you, you get this level of energy in every episode. So take that for what it's worth and grow from it because it's pretty awesome stuff. Pretty powerful guy. And hey, follow me on Twitter as well, Instagram, Facebook, at Brian Falchuk everywhere. And check out doadaybook.com. For more about Do A Day, if this all intrigues you, you should pick up the book and grow from it. And you can learn more about me at Brian Falchuk. Please subscribe, rate the podcast if you're enjoying what you're hearing, and give me your feedback. I want to hear. I want to keep getting better. I want to know what inspires you and what you want in this for you. And with that, today is a new day, my friends. You must go out and do it. Be a day doer. It's only for your benefit. Have a great day.